Good morning. Glad to see everybody on one side today. Singing was good. Today I'd like us to look, last Sunday, we looked at the first four of the seven last sayings of Christ on the cross. And for those that weren't here, I'm going to recap just for a couple minutes those four, and then today we'll look at the last three. If you remember in Luke 23, 34, Christ's first words on the cross were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here man was at his worst, crucifying the very Son of God, but yet he prays, Father, forgive them. It sets an example for us. Forgive our enemies. And he fulfilled the prophecy, you know, as we looked in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verse 12, that he made intercession, very last phrase, for the transgressors. So he prayed, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Then there are two thieves, you know, crucified with him, one on the right hand, one on the left side. You know, the one... You know, at first they were both railing upon him. You know, the whole crowd was jeering. They were all railing. Come down from the cross, you know, if you're the Christ, you know, and show us this miracle that you can do. Deliver yourself. You know, but that wasn't God's purpose. God's purpose was that he would die upon the cross for the sins of his people. And those two thieves were railing, but there was a change in one of them. You know, sovereign grace touched one in his very dying hour. And he looks up to the other thief, and you want to look at Luke 23. You know, before they were united in their talks to him. In Luke 23. Pick up at verse 39. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Of course, in the other Gospels we read they were both doing this. But at this point, the other, verse 40, answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? So here the wisdom of God has struck upon him. Don't you fear God? And he saw too his sin and the just reward for sin. The same condemnation. He saw we did indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But then he looked to Christ. But this man, this one on the cross, had done nothing amiss. Affirming the very things that Pilate had found. By no fault in him. You know, he was the perfect man. And he says to Jesus in verse 42, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The very Christ, the one who had the inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The man says, Lord, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. And the second phrase then, or the second saying on the cross, Jesus responds, 
Verse 43, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Then in John, the third saying, John 19, you know, while most of the disciples had fled away, the women, the disciple John was there, the women were at the cross among them, was Mary, the mother of Jesus. And in John 19, 25, we read that there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus cares for his mother, provides for her now as he's the eldest son dying physically. And so he appoints her to John, the beloved disciple. He says, woman, behold thy son. Then he says to John, behold thy mother. And so in his dying hour, he still has compassion and care for his very mother. The fourth is in Matthew. Most of these are only in one text, in one gospel. The fourth saying is in both Matthew and Mark. We'll go to Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And with a loud voice he cried this, you know, forsaken. These are, we saw, were startling words for the Son of God. The very one that had always been in fellowship with his Father. Remember, they're one. And yet here, now separated, you know, God can't look upon sin his son now bearing the sin of his people and we read in Psalm 22 those, those words as well why hast thou forsaken me but he has forsaken the sins of his people were upon him the wrath of God was there and God turned away from him during those three hours of Suffering and darkness upon the cross. Verse 45 says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we now come into the study of these last three sayings of your Son on the cross, we just pray that you just give us insight, give us wisdom, let your Holy Spirit be upon me and upon your words that we could see more of your beauty and your splendor more of your sacrifice, more of your the very things that you did on the cross. And just help us to be instructed from them, to, to learn from them, to grow in grace and to grow in knowledge. 
We just pray that you just open our eyes and ears and hearts to hear and see more of you. Just pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So let's go to John for the fifth or John nineteen verse twenty eight. John 19, verse 28. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Here's the Savior, the very one that's the well of living water, and yet now he says, I thirst. And this fulfilled a prophecy if we go back to Psalm 69, verse 21. It says, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Verse 29 follows there in John 19, says, Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. So here's the suffering Savior. Now, having had no water, remember what all has taken place and all the scriptures that have been fulfilled up to this point. You know, he's been betrayed by, by Judas. The disciples have all scattered they left him when he was taken in the garden. He has been falsely accused. Remember how they tried to find witnesses. You know, he's been proven guiltless, but yet still condemned. Numbered with the transgressors, as we saw with the two thieves. Crucified. You know, mocked. You know, they gambled for his garments. He's been forsaken of God. And now, you know, he's thirsting. And he's thirsting, you know, in, you know, for the very suffering that he's, that's taking place within his body. You know, First Timothy 3.16 says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Remember, Christ was both God and man. You know, as God, he's you know, the counselor, the one who's been from the very beginning. But yet he took on flesh. And as man, you know, he, he suffered and he suffered thirst. But yet he suffers thirst here so that we might thirst no more eternally. You know, and we're told in... Revelation 7.16 that they shall hunger no more neither thirst any more neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. And so Christ suffered, you know, he suffered and we saw him suffer all through his ministry on earth. You know, remember when he came, you know, born in a manger you know, they had to flee away to Egypt he was hungered at times. He slept, he wept, he moaned. 
grown at the grave of Lazarus. So truly he was man, but also he was God. So here on the cross then, he says, I thirst. And again, though it's always the emphasis that the scripture might be fulfilled. Because at each of the events that took place, you know, are fulfilling the scripture, the very things that God had written of him all through the Old Testament. And you know, later he'll, the road to Emmaus, you know, he mentions, you know, all that was in the, the writings of Moses and prophets and the Psalms all fulfilled. And here he's fulfilling a prophecy as well, but also he's suffering, you know, and suffering the, the agony of crucifixion, you know, being in a dry, basically a dry land. I want us to look at Psalm 69. Psalm 69. Last week we saw Psalm 22, which is much of those, the events on the cross. Psalm 69 reads, Save me, O God, for thy waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me being mine enemies wrongfully are mighty. Then I restore that which I took not away. O God, thou knowest my foolishness and my sins are not hid from thee. Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren, an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house had eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that was to my reproach. And I'm going to jump to verse 20. Reproach had broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. I mean, seeing this psalm, the many things that were fulfilled in Christ's ministry and then here on the cross, and ultimately again, the taking of the vinegar at his thirst. You know, the very one that's thirsty and think, you know, as you think of water and, and, uh, what Christ did with water, you know, he, he divided the waters of the Red Sea. You know, he caused waters to flow from a rock. He was that rock. And he turned water into wine. He walked on water. But yet here, you know, suffering for us, he's without water. 
he thirsts. And he does this again according to the scripture. And as a man of sorrows, back to Isaiah 53, told in verse 4, Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And so these were his afflictions. But we see the need for water as well. You know, there's a picture here, not just a physical thirst, but you know, all men have a thirst, but yet many fill it with the wrong thing. Jeremiah 2, 13. Tells us, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now Christ is the fountain of living water, but they've forsaken him. And notice cisterns, things you put water in, but they don't have living water, it's still water. And he says on top of that, they're broken. They leak, they can hold no water. But he is the living water. So as Christ then, knowing all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, say it, I thirst. That's followed then in John also, John 19, verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost and so these three words it is finished you know all that he had come to do on earth was now done remember his humiliation you know as we read in Philippians you know, he humbled himself to come and die on the cross you know his whole purpose for coming was that you know to complete his mission to furnish salvation for his people. And so he's here on the cross. And keep in mind too always, you know, how he was still in full control of all his faculties. And in, in several of the scriptures, you know, he says things with a loud voice, not as a dying average human would be where their voice weakens at death. Because he gives up the ghost. You know, he doesn't die until he yields up his body. So when he says it's finished, he's finished, you know, his work. He's paid the price of redemption, accomplished God's purposes. And so what all was fulfilled? And you think through when he says it's finished, we have to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament. You know, from the very beginning in Genesis, the woman's seed, made of a woman. Remember, he was of, of a virgin in Isaiah. 
you know, the Mary. Holy Spirit overshadows her, fulfilling that. You know, he was to be of the seed of Abraham and of David. You know, if I read the genealogies, we find he was of David, of Abraham. He was to be born in Bethlehem, and he was. He was to be weeping in Bethlehem. You know, when the children were slain, you know, and Herod wanted to destroy the Christ. You know, he destroyed a lot of children. You know, Christ escapes to, to Egypt. He fulfilled, you know, being of the scepter of Judah, being the lawgiver. But also, you know, he was the one that, you know, as John the Baptist, you know, was wondering, are you the Christ? You know, he answered, you know, uh, to, to look at, at who he was. And let's, let's look at Isaiah 35. Five and six said, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And he fulfilled all these. You know, he came healing. He came but working works, good works. You know, preaching and healing both. You know, he fulfilled too, speaking in parables. You know, but especially he fulfilled them the things of the cross. You know, being despised, being rejected, being hated without a cause, being betrayed, the things we mentioned earlier. So as he says, it has finished all the works, all of the scriptures up to this point. You know, speaking of Christ, his very nature, the things that should take place have all taken place. And remember, as he says, it is finished too. You know, that his whole purpose was to come and die on the cross. And that cross was always before him. Remember at the marriage feast, you know, Mary, his mother, you know, was, said, well, you know, they're out of wine. And he told her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And through the book of John, there's a continual stream of my hour is not yet come. Because he had to fulfill each thing that was to be done. When he says it's finished, his hour has come. Everything has taken place. In John 3.14, he says, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up in that very hour. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration. And Moses and Elijah, what did they speak of? Well, they spoke of the decease, the death of Christ. Luke 9.31. I'll start at 30. Luke 9.30 says, And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, 
his death, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. And so he has finished the work. He has come, he has suffered, and now he's about to give up the ghost, to yield up his, his physical body to death. And he does all this too, you know, in the, the very will and purposes of God. You know, he did not die, you know, at the hands of man, even though men were used. But he gave up the ghost. He accomplished the purpose that he came for. came again for sin. Remember from the very beginning in Genesis, you know, the covering that was made, the animals that were slain, you know, blood shed to be a covering for Adam and Eve. We saw too, you know, with, with Isaac when Abraham was going to offer him up. Again, the substitution Christ was to be the one to suffer. And as I read a moment ago, you know, he'd be lifted up on the cross, the pole, you know, that was in Moses' day, which they looked to, you know, the serpent that was there, the brazen serpent. All this accomplished. And he says, therefore, you know, it is finished. Fulfilling all the requirements. Back to Isaiah 53 again. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before her shears is done, so he opened not his mouth. You know, fulfilled the requirements that God had. Romans 7, 11 and 12 says, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. You know, in dying, he fulfilled the requirements of the law. You know, there had to be punishment. And he took it upon himself. You know, just as the uh, in Leviticus, when the law was given, and remember the, the goats, the two goats, Leviticus 16, if you want to go there, Leviticus 16, verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. 
You know, this goat, all the sins, all the iniquities. You know, one goat died. Christ did so. And all the sins are put away. This other goat goes away into the wilderness. A land not inhabited. So when he says it is finished, he has completed that work for his people. The prince of the world has been cast out. And this is a, when he says it is finished, it's very much a word of victory. He then, we'll go to Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 46. After all these sayings, now he has one last statement. All the works have been done. He's God. He knows everything. Knows that all has been completed. So in verse 46, Luke 23, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So now he commits his spirit from his body. You know, we all have a spirit, body, soul, and spirit. He commands it to God. Commands it with a loud voice. And you know, this is his seventh saying, and if you uh, think back to creation, you know, in seven days, you know, back in our sixth word on the cross, it is finished. That was the same words used, you know, by God in the creation. On the sixth day, it was finished. On the seventh, he rested. Here, Christ, his seventh word, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Resting in Christ. And so this utterance comes. You know, it makes it... Uh, to his father, you know, the very one he cried earlier, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now he prays, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Uttering these words, the father that was hidden from him, those three hours of suffering, he says, now I come into thy hands and I commend my spirit. You know, that discourse in John, you know, 14, you know, through 17 is prayer. You ever look at that and just see how many times he says, Father, Father, John 14, 15, 16, and 17. He repeatedly prays to his father, mentions his father, points out his father to us. And here in this last prayer, he makes the statement, Father, then into thy hands I commend my spirit. As he does this too, you know, keep keep in mind, you know, man 
thought again that they had killed Christ. You know, their wicked hands were part of it. But also, you know, he had to give up his life. You know, he followed the will of the Father and yielding up his life as well. But it's all voluntary. It was a perfect yieldness to the Father, which he always, we see that all through Scripture, that everything he did, you know, remember he went about his Father's business, you know, even there in the temple when the Mary and Joseph were looking for him. And, you know, wist ye not that I should be about my Father's business? And he always spoke the Father's word. He answered the different temptations that way. You know, he set an example for us, too, to commend ourselves to the Father, you know, and to present ourselves to him as well as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're going to look at the three expressions within the scriptures here of this committing of his spirit. And let's go first to Matthew 27, verse 50. Matthew 27, verse 50. says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And so here he dismisses his spirit. You know, Matthew writes... You know, as, as the king pictures Christ, the son of David, you know, to, it's written predominantly to the Jews. But he yields up the ghost as though he dismisses it, as a, as a king would dismiss his servants. You know, Christ yields up or dismisses the ghost, uh, his spirit. Mark 15.37 tells us, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. So Mark, he's pictured as a servant, and let's read the Luke text also, Luke 23, which we did, verse 46. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. You know, Mark pictures him as a servant. Luke, you know, the perfect man, so here he breathes out his spirit, you know, from a human sense. We go to John, though, John 19, verse 30. John 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, It's finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And so he delivers it 
with power. John pictures him as the Son of God. And so he delivers it with full power. But in each of these notes, it's who's doing the action. You know, he himself is dismissing his spirit. So in that way, his death is unlike any other death. You know, we, we can't control our spirit. We have an appointed hour to die. But Christ appointed his hour with the Father and yielded up, gave up the ghost. Committing his spirit into his Father's hand. So with these words then, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And these very words of Christ, seven different phrases, you know, all on the cross during his suffering. When I come back, keep those in mind. You know, as we look at these things, we don't want to leave Christ on the cross. And in death... Because, you know, our gospel message is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. So remember after this, John 19, verse 38, you know, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a malt mixture of myrrh and alloys about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the matter, manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden and the garden a new sepulchre wherein was never man yet laid there lay they Jesus. Therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. And so we see him buried. He's buried by two people. Joseph of Arimathea. You know, notice his description. Secretly for fear of the Jews. We studied in our Bible study this morning about Peter and his fear during the time... He was in the palace and the maids and the others that he warmed himself at the fire with said, well, you're one of them, and he denied it. Even this Joseph of Marathena, they were, you know, were afraid. The Jews threatened to kill and certainly to put out of the synagogue anybody that professed Christ. But here Joseph of Marathena now boldly comes and with him, you know, Nicodemus, who we saw in John 3, he also comes. 
Notice the reference at first, he came to Jesus by night and he comes again to take away the body in the evening and to put it upon the cross, upon into the tomb, taking it down from the cross. And so he's buried, but he doesn't remain in the tomb. Luke 24, verse 1 tells us on the very first day of the week, early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher. When they came, they found the stone rolled away. And they, verse 3 tells us they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And the angel tells them, He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. Luke 24, verse 7 tells us, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And we're told they remembered his words. And we too want to remember all of these words. You know, John 20, verse 31 tells us too that these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so I want us to think back to seven sayings and apply these to our, back to ourselves. You know, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here's the very one you know, who forgave our sins. And likewise, we should pray for others and forgive the sins of others. He made a promise to the thief, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And again, he promises to his, his children a, a life in heaven with him, that we too will be with him in paradise. He told the woman, Behold thy son, and the John, Behold thy mother, and we read in the scriptures too, you know, behold, you know, when they were relating to physical relationships, you know, Christ looked around and, and said, you know, Behold my mother, behold my brothers and sisters. Because again, we're adopted children, sons of God. And we have that promise to us. And when he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was forsaken there for a time so that we would never be forsaken. You know, he said, he promises he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And that has an eternal promise to it. You know, he suffered thirst so that we wouldn't be thirsty. We read that earlier, we never thirst. He fills our thirst. He is the living water. And we said it is finished. You know, he finished the work. There's nothing more for us to do to add to it or to take away from it. Because he finished the work of redemption and salvation completely. Salvation is of the Lord. And therefore, we too can pray like him. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You know, we're in his hands. All men are in his hands. But as believers, 
as his children, we too, when we pray this, we pray that our spirit be commended into his presence in heaven at our death. So ponder upon these. And pray that God would give us more insight into the words of Christ here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word, for these very words that Christ uttered on the cross, the very things they reveal to us of him, of his suffering and anguish, but also of, of his triumph in conquering sin and death and destroying Satan and Satan's work and providing salvation for his very people, the people that you chose out from the very beginning. And we're just thankful that you provided the sacrifice for us, that you fulfilled all scripture as it is written in the scriptures. And according to the scriptures, these things took place. We just thank you that we have you as our God, that you do rule over the affairs of men, over this earth, and that everything is in your hand, even as we saw at the very taking, that while Pilate and Herod took you, so they were just fulfilling your decree that Christ would suffer and die. We just ask you to grow us in your grace and your knowledge. Give us more understanding of the depths of the very mysteries of, of the gospel that are written here. And just pray you'd ever increase us in, in our knowledge of you. Help us to more fully trust you. Ask that you'd increase our faith. Strengthen us with your might. Just be with us as we go forward. We pray for the many that are sick and suffering among our our body here. Pray for healing for them according to your will. And just pray that but go with us. Let us be lights for you in this dark world. Let us be a faithful witness. Let us never deny you, but ever proclaim you as Christ eternal, everlasting Son of God, our Lord and our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.